0: Catholics are often pitted against each other during this current crisis in the church. For example, traditional versus progressive, or a focus on liturgy versus a focus on social action. Our guest today will present what he says is a third way that encompasses the both ends of Catholic discipleship. Hello, I'm Eric Simmons, your host and in Chief of Crisis Magazine. Welcome to the program. Just before we get started, I want to encourage people to hit the like button to subscribe to the channel, let other people know about it. We appreciate uh, all the subscri- all the people subscribing and, and liking our, our, our videos, our, our podcasts. We really appreciate that. Uh, also, if you want to leave a review at like Apple Podcasts, I think people still do that. Um, we, we get about a split between our, our audio podcast and our video uh, videos, so uh, we encourage both to like it and subscribe and all that. Also, you can follow us on social media, at CrisisMag at all the various social media channels. Subscribe to our email newsletter. Uh, just go to crisismagazine.com and you can just, there'll be a place you can put your email address. You get articles sent to you uh, every day in your inbox. So that's great. Okay. So our guest today is Rob Marco. He is a happily married father of three living outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He is a grateful convert to the Catholic faith from Eastern spirituality. I'm going to ask him about that. He's appeared as a guest on EWTN's the Journey Home, I was, I'm also an alum of The Journey Home. I feel at this point that it's a pretty large, uh, a large group of people. I mean, not knocking us for being on it, but hey, if they have us on it, you know. Uh, he's a prolific writer and a regular blogger who offers Catholic perspective on faith, family, marriage, manhood, prayer, prayer chastity, Christian discipleship, the state of the church, and the traditional Roman liturgy on his, uh, on his blog, Potter Familius. And I'll link to that, of course. He's also a regular contributor to many magazine uh, websites and stuff, of which I'm just going to mention one, which is, of course, <laughs> the best one, and that is Crisis Magazine. <laughs> he's, we're very happy to have him writing for us. He also writes for One Peter Five. I'll bring that up and, and a bunch of other uh, sites, and I'll put that in his bio. So um, he's also – oh, uh, I mentioned this too. He's the author of Wisdom and Folly, Essays on Faith, Life, and Everything in Between, which has a foreword by our friend Kevin Wells, who is a regular contributor to Crisis Magazine as well? Kevin Wells is great. So, if Kevin wrote the Ford, if he's endorsing it, you know the book is good. I mean, I, I just feel like that's a that's a good endorsement. So, welcome to the program, Rob.
1: Thanks, Eric. It's great to be here.
0: Okay, so I, I got to mention it first for everybody who's going to see the the book. The um, thumbnail <laughs> is this is really the same guy as in the photo that i have on the thing i'm I'm hoping is of course now watch it'll go live and he's gonna send me like that's not me dude um but no it is what's this it's your photo i think you use it crisis you've grown a beard you know and all that stuff so it is the same person but anyway that's not too important although we could talk for an hour about beards if you want to i mean you know maybe that's a third way men need to grow beards right (laughs) so Rob why don't you just tell us about your background I, i particularly am interested in you don't we don't uh, encounter a lot of uh, converts from Eastern spirituality. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your own background?
1: Sure. Well, it's funny, Eric, I, I came into the church um, when I was 18, uh, my freshman year of college, but I actually have a little bit of East um, in the Eastern liturgy um, because my father is a Ukrainian Catholic. My mother was an Episcopalian. So we weren't raised with any faith, but I also studied Buddhism and was attracted to Harry Krishna and Buddhism in high school. So I kind of fell into that without a, a Christian like background um, and started studying the four noble truths and the bhagavad-gita and things like that these eastern things but i really had a conversion to christ in, in high school a very strong conversion and kind of worked my way down the funnel and, until when it came time to um you know where do you put that faith in jesus christ you know the the four marks of the church the one holy catholic and apostolic church seemed like the most stable place to um you know go deeper with a relationship with Jesus because it was a protected, you know, apostolic. It has the truth. And, uh, for me, it would just, um, I fell into Catholicism, but, uh, kind of following my father's footsteps, but I had all this Eastern background, um, of influence of Buddhism and Harry Krishna and things like that. So very interesting, windy path. Um, uh, but thank God I've, I've come to the truth and come home. So how long have you been Catholic? So it, it'll be, uh, about uh 25 years uh this December so I'm um, uh, I'll be 44 in March and I I came into the church when I was 18 so Okay I, I,
0: I joke with my guests that uh, I have a 5 year rule on converts. You have to be a convert at least for 5 years. Uh Joshua Charles yep. was on
1: a, good rule. a few months ago <laughs> and he had
0: just passed it. I didn't realize he was that recent of a convert, but he was like just passed it. Um so and I I I got about third be 31 years this year. So I'm more about, you know, similar time frame. So I guess it was so JP2 was the pope when you when you mm-hmm. came to church. As well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now Did you go Ukrainian Catholic then because your dad is that what did you do that? You know,
1: what's funny, Eric, is the the divine liturgy. I, I ended up going to the divine liturgy with my dad when he would go growing up. And so it wasn't like this exotic, like traditional liturgy in the East for me wasn't like this exotic thing. That was the only expression of Catholicism I knew. Roman Catholicism, when I ended up on campus and went to like the auditorium for the masses, everybody was kind of dressed in sweatpants and things. It was a totally foreign thing for me. Um, but because it was more, I guess, accessible where I was at Penn state, um, I ended up and I made friends in the Roman, you know, in the Roman, uh, church, that's where I ended up going to liturgy. Although there was a Byzantine priest that would come out once a, once a week to do the divine liturgy. So, so I started going to that, but then I kind of transitioned over the Roman, right? My, my wife is Filipino. So she was raised in the Roman church and we ended up in, at a traditional Latin mass parish just because. But i am byzantine by right when i came into the church i actually came in through the byzantine right so it's an interesting uh, background but they're kind of the two lungs the east and west of the church right okay now i just gotta ask this because
0: i i know there's so your your wife is in the you know just in the roman right you're technically in the byzantine Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. officially in the church so Mm -hmm. what what do your kids end
1: up being whatever your bat whatever they're baptized into or they go one way no, we we don't attend the, the divine liturgy anymore. Um, this was something I grew up. So our kids were baptized in the Roman rite. Um, I, I've never, but it doesn't like pass written... on
0: by like father. I mean, because I know in some cases, like even if you attend and you get baptized in the Roman rite. You still can be Byzantine if your parents or, or something like that. Maybe I'm confusing it. To be
1: honest, that might be, and I, I might have gotten some mis- misinformation because when I was discerning religious life, I was told I would need to change rites officially. Right, that's why. But that's if I wasn't in that, if I matters. wasn't, yeah, it's kind of like um. But I do, I still love the Divine Liturgy. But we attend, uh, all, all our kids know is the Latin Mass, so okay. Um, if anything, the the Novus Ordo is a little bit more foreign to them than right, right. <laughs> maybe the Divine Liturgy might be okay.
0: Okay so so now you attend the traditional mass so no more masses in auditoriums in sweatpants is what you're Correct. saying yeah <laughs> okay so okay so with that background now you how, how long actually have you been writing this blog because you write a lot yes
1: yeah unfortunately it's a it's a, <laughs> it's a compulsion um, i i started this is the third iteration of a blog um that i developed uh i probably started writing on myspace uh before like blogs were a real thing wait myspace really myspace remember yeah oh i remember i don't know if anybody listening remembers but we do (laughs) yeah before pre-facebook and everything so i think i started with that and then i dropped on blogger um it might have been around i started on probably around 2004 writing regularly for a blog, but then it kind of distilled to like focus more on just, I just write about the faith and all kind of aspects of the faith. So it kind of went from being this broad, you know, all sorts of interests down to, um, another iteration of the blog. And then I, tra- I transferred all 900 posts over to my, my newest, um, blog, which is Potter Familias, which basically focuses on you know faith family living out the faith as a, a catholic man on chastity on all the things you mentioned in the beginning right. so i have about 900 posts over the past 10 years or so in that modern most recent form of the blog so yeah i do write a lot it's i don't know it's a problem <laughs> <laughs> well we
0: we appreciate it i appreciate you writing for crisis and for the, the other places as well And um, yeah, so you date back all the way to like the Mark Shea and like Amy Wellborn days, like when they were. Yeah, I
1: remember when Mark Shea and Simca Fisher were still writing for the National Catholic Register and. um Right. Yeah, time now. Th- things have changed. Though. Remember when they were on? Yeah,
0: remember when they were on Blogspot? Though I remember that, like with Mark Shea, Do you remember those days? Like back in the, I think it was like two thousand four or five or something like that. I think he. Was yeah, like, that
1: might have been right around when I was coming onto the scene. Okay. Okay. You know, you have to remember too. I wasn't. I, I wasn't a great cat. I wasn't right well catechized when I came into the church. So I, I came through a very liberal kind of like. Okay. Beginning of the church. Um, so yeah, it's been a long road of kind of righting the ship. orthodoxy when did you when did you move over to attending the traditional latin mass so it's been about five or six years i think um yeah it was about 2018 2019 around then so we've it was kind of one of those things where we would i would scout out somebody uh, uh, invited me to a traditional latin mass in philly i would go on my own and then we would go to the novus ordo i'd go back we it kind of got to be this schizophrenic like right. you know trying to do both and then eventually as most people know you get to this point where you just got to jump all in right right it's been about five years okay yeah
0: okay very good and
1: i mentioned that i, I still feel like a guest a guest in the house you know what i mean i'm not uh died in the world traditionalist i don't have. you know we stand on the shoulders of giants in a lot of ways so yeah still learning
0: yeah, I like to think of, I, 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 you know how there's like the OGs. I consider myself like an MG, a middle guard. You know, what I mean, yes, I was like, I'm exactly, not, right. I feel like you were going. To, you had to be going to slot Mass before regularly before some Pontificum before 2000 yeah. to really be an OG. And then, like, I started yeah. going around 2011. Yeah, it was 2011. I started going, and then, like, you know, the new guard people who are just the last year or two, which we love having, and 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 it's mm-hmm. great to have them. So I, I feel like you're you're in that middle time as well, because uh, right you know, so, okay. So you see, so that's what your family goes through and stuff like that. Now we're bringing this up for a reason, by the way, uh, dear audience, because, uh, you have some, you, you know, you have a recent, relatively recent, how long ago was that, that you wrote that the third way? I That, I that, was, that was just a few months ago. That's what, yeah. It looks like it was December. So yeah. you had a, a post called the third way. And some of it I think is, is, and I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, I mean, it's, it's a, there's some criticisms of in there, or at least implied criticisms of the traditional world of traditionalists and stuff. So I wanted to kind of, before we go into that, kind of establish your credibility that you're not just somebody who, who just started going last week or that you just are, or don't even attend and just want to criticize from the outside, but you're somebody who loves the traditional Latin, right. You, you, you know, you, 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 would you call actually, let's just start with that. Would you call yourself a traditionalist?
1: Uh, yeah, that's that's a good kind of point to start at because um, as I mentioned just a couple minutes ago, I feel like a guest in the house. I don't I don't even want to see these as criticisms. I just I, what do they call it in performance reviews? Like opportunities for growth. Oh yeah, you know? right, right. <laughs> they, they couch it in a in a way that's not critical because it's it's not meant to be critical. You 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 are excited and you 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 want to talk about what you love and and we we've grown to love the loud mass. Um, I would consider, by a strict definition, I wouldn't consider myself a traditionalist. If you consider a traditionalist someone who would not attend the novus ordo under any circumstances, and in that case, we, you know, I haven't attended a Latin um, a, a novus ordo on a Sunday in like five years. So we exclusively attend the traditional Latin mass. But I'm not opposed. I, I wouldn't not go to the, the novus ordo. I, I've I've sometimes oh, when I'm on campus for work, I'll go to a daily uh, novus ordo. But if we were on vacation, I would drive two hours out of the way to go to a traditional Latin mass. If even if I had a church ten minutes down the road that was a Novus Ordo Paris. So, um, but in the sense of having a hard line in the sand where I, I wouldn't attend either ideologically or just for conscience reasons of conscience, I wouldn't say I'm a I'm a die right. in the wool traditionalist. I'm maybe trad adjacent or trad sympathetic. Yeah, sense.
0: it's it's interesting because of course the term just can be defined in any way. Like I would define you then as a traditionalist, like. And I, def- I'm in a similar boat to you. Like, basically, I attend the traditional Latin mass every Sunday, uh, and, and sometimes during the week. Uh, I mean, actually, since COVID, like before COVID, I would go to a local Novus Ordo parish for daily mass often because it was very close. But of course, COVID made it where I couldn't go anymore because you know just the masks and all all the craziness. It just wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. So I started driving down because our, our our parish is further away you know, the traditional one. And so I started driving down and then I basically got in the habit of that. So I just stopped going. Uh, and so, and that, and when we take trips and everything with the family, we always make sure we find a traditional Latin mass. Yeah. And so to silly. be honest,
1: I, I always think it's worth it. I think it's always worth it. If you can, some people, if they're very rural and they can't do it, uh, that's one thing. But I mean, even when we right. travel for vacation for first Friday and first Saturday, we'll, you know, find a place in Connecticut or wherever we are. To, to to attend the traditional latin mass right but it's not like i refuse to go
0: to a another i've gone to you know a few over the since covid um you know it's not like I, i'm i'm just refused now i will refuse to go if i know ahead of time it's some loopy crazy you know just yeah. when i'm 100 percent sure if it's valid type of mass um mm-hmm. which is unfortunately happens sometimes but okay so so that's kind of where you are with that now you, you wrote this about the third way why don't we go ahead and now get into what did you actually mean by a third way, because we're talking about Catholic discipleships, so we're talking about how we live as as followers of Jesus Christ. What is this third way you're talking about?
1: Sure, and I should preface this by apparently, I, I learned after I wrote the post, that there's some kind of third way Catholicism out there about homosexuality, which this has nothing to do with. It's something that Father Mike Schmitz and some other people had developed about, like somewhere between condemnation and full acceptance of homosexuality. So it has nothing to do with that. If you Google the term, it's particular to my blog, but it does kind of touch on that idea of um, this both and um, attitude of that. W- in Catholicism, we have the, the best of, of, of all things. We have faith in reason. We have faith in tradition. We have faith in works. We have, um, you know, fasting and feasting. We have the hypostatic union of Jesus was both God and man. So really, when I, I started thinking about this about five years ago, when I wrote a post called Tradition and Charity, the force, A Force for Renewal, and I saw this when I start, first was introduced to the Latin Mass, I saw this great potential for like a solid liturgical footing where in Matthew 22, you have, you know, Jesus' distill, distillation of the commandments and the love God and love neighbor. So the traditional Latin Mass, and um, it offers such a solid foundation for the worship. But I think there's this um, maybe a potential pitfall or a blind spot for traditionalists that, because it's easy to love God in a way, because he's invisible, because he's, um, he's always present, but he's not right in front of you. We get comfortable in this, um, you know, it, it's all about the mass or it's all about going to church or praying the rosary within the walls or, or doing the traditional things. Um, and I think that that is, they're all, those are all good things, but maybe it's because of the influence I had coming into the, coming into the church and running a Catholic worker house, um, literally like, doing all the works of mercy as part of like Jesus said to feed the hungry. So I'm going to feed the hungry. Jesus said to clothe the naked. So I'm going to clothe the naked. I went into the prisons and I worked in the prisons. So these were things that was for me were commonplace. But when I, we started attending the traditional Latin mass parish, I found that th- these weren't as common. These, these, um, exercising the acts of charity. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Uh, I think a lot of traditionalists are maybe more, um, uh, hidden or muted about it, which is always a good thing as well. But it didn't seem to be an emphasis on, um, you know, service to the poor and acts of charity, even when you interpret charity as, as love of, of the, the, the love that we're called to be marked by as Christians. It's kind of like, um, if you wanted to mark yourself as a traditionalist, you be, you have your chapel veil or you carry in your missile and that's how you identify yourself. But really, the early Christians in, in the Roman Empire were, were identified by how they loved their action. So this idea of a third way is really this synthesis, is both and of tradition and charity, of being this unstoppable force for renewal, in my opinion, because we have a solid liturgical foundation in which to bring people into the lex around the lex around law of worship is the law of, of how, you, how you believe. And then... It takes it a step further in into a whole complete protein of Christian discipleship that doesn't just relegate itself to worship in the mass, but steps out in that second commandment of you know loving brother and loving those um, who are less fortunate and um, in need of the gospel. Have you read um, Rodney Stark's
0: book, The Rise of Christianity? I have not. Okay, so he's a sociologist, and he basically. Uh, explains from a sociological standpoint how Christianity went from being just a few people to taking over the Roman Empire in 300 years. And he says, I'm not saying there's not the Holy Spirit and divine stuff like that, but he's saying, Mm -hmm. I want to study it from a human standpoint. How did this actually happen? How was it? Because of course, that's the Holy Spirit works through us. And so you can, you know, there's nothing wrong with looking at it like that, as long as you don't deny uh, that the Holy Spirit's the one doing this. But he, one of the one of the big things he talks about was like, for example, the early Christians, how they would react to, for example, when the plague came. So when a plague right. came to a town, what happened was all the rich pagans left town as quickly as possible. But then the Christians would go in and they would take care of the, uh, the, 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 the people who were sick and everything. And they would ask, why are you doing this? And they'd say, because you're Jesus. And it and now of course many of them died, but a, a lot of them lived, and and they they became Christian themselves. A lot of the people who had the plague, they became Christian themselves. They told others, and the word kind of spread. Like these guys are crazy. I mean, they're they're actually going in, and I actually that's one of my big disappointments. Is is a is a not strong enough word for how the church reacted during COVID. That we seem to be the pagans leaving town and being afraid instead of going in and taking care of people, but but it was like this idea oh, that, Eric, it's... yeah I was going to say it's this idea the the church that stark makes is that you have this charity that was practiced mm-hmm. and really had a huge impact and it was a huge evangelization effort actually even right. though it was almost exactly. unintentionally evangelistic mm-hmm.
1: and even like we're not social workers either you can do acts of charity without faith but without love you can't be a christian and, you know, it's interesting you bring that point up because uh, I love this story of St. Aloysius Gonzaga and um, during during the plague in the 16th century, um, St. Aloysius became a Jesuit at the age of 17. So he's very, you know, very young, but maybe that's normal for that time of period. He came under the uh, spiritual direction of St. Robert Bellarmine, uh, who was just a great spiritual director. And St. Aloysius was very... Um, he was very, he had a lot of mortifications and individual penances that he did. He was very, um, very severe on himself in terms of like uh, prayer and penance. But when he came under the direction of St. Robert Bellarmine, St. Robert Bellarmine ordered him to stop all that and go out into the streets during the plague and start bringing the bodies to the hospital. And what was interesting was that St. Aloysius he adopted these kind of penances and prayer because of his piety, but also because he, he didn't like people and he found the work squeamish. And so he kind of preferred the penances that he had chosen, but St. Robert Darwin in his wisdom assigned him to go out, out in charity and to bring the bodies on. And he eventually died doing that, but it was through that like St. Francis and the leper conversion of like loving, like uh, sick, dirty, difficult people that if St. Aloysius had his choice, he wouldn't have chosen that as his mortification or sanctification, but under the guidance of his spiritual director, that going out in charity, um, which was the work that was needed. um, I just thought that was interesting because he wouldn't have chosen that for himself. And that's what sanctified him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things I would say is um, today, in most traditional parishes, most traditional Catholics are very involved in, uh, the pro-life movement. And, you know, many of them, uh, like we have a pregnancy center attached to our parish. Uh, you know, a lot of people work for the pregnancy center, go to the the abortion clinic to pray in the council, uh, go to the March for life or, or, you know, various marches for life, things like that. So, you know, they, they definitely are involved in that. And would you say though, that uh, I mean, I'm just kind of wondering, are you saying that, you know, maybe they need to do more than that or, or, or how would you respond to like, because I think that'd be a, the first thing a lot of church would would say, well, no, actually we're very involved in this pro-life stuff.
1: I agree. And that's it's incredible work. And it's also, you know, who, who's more, more vulnerable than the unborn as well. So it's, it's not, um, you know, it's definitely good work in that, and that people who have been in the trenches for years know how hard it is as well. So I don't want to, you know, um, disin- uh, denigrate that at all because it's important work. I think what I think what I find um, and maybe it's my past experience too that like you know so like these great saints before the novus ordo even existed, you know in the in the 16th, 17th, 18th century like Saint Leo the Great and Saint Charles Borromeo. These were like great dignitaries in the church. They were, you know, high-ranking prelates, but they uh, Saint Leo had this um, quote that uh about like the, the the love of the poor and the the service to the poor said he said that no act of devotion on the part of the faithful gives God more pleasure than that which is lavished on his poor and um, st Charles Borromeo also would you know feed tens of thousands of people from his own you know um, during during the famine so I think it's not so much the work that like these make any lasting impacts it's just kind of like um, you know, the charity that people have known to be a mark of the church, but it also transforms the individual when you're indirect, when you're not just writing checks and you're not just writing, um, you're not, you're not just removed from the work of charity. And so it's not like it's irrelevant today because there are a lot of people, like even St. John Vianney's parents, like, you know, they were not well off. They had a lot of children, but they would open their home and their hayloft during the French revolution to you know, peasants who were poor and St. John Vianney said his only competing love with his love of, of Christ and being a priest in the mass was the, his love of the poor. So I'm not saying that I don't think, these again, these are not competing things like it's pro-life work versus like direct charity. It's this idea of a both and that I think it's healthy to go outside of your comfort zone sometimes to encounter the poor. And, you know, the, let's be face it, let's face it, the, the poor, they're they're dirty. They're addicted. They're smelly. They're you know Dorothy Day said all these things. That, you know Jesus, but that Jesus is in the poor. Um, so we can't kind of like sidestep it completely. You know we all have to work within our state of life, and we all have um, you know constraints on our finances. But I think to the degree that you can love those who are not um, not like you, maybe don't look like you, and maybe you know treat you contemptuously, that's how we grow in charity. Okay, I got a couple practical questions here. I've actually found that it's difficult
0: to help the poor as a family in in various um, situations. Like, for example, I volunteered at a soup kitchen for a while. Actually, I had to stop because they required you to be vaccinated after COVID Mm -hmm. um, to to help out. But Mm -hmm. I found that, first of all, they didn't let kids help out they basically like you had to be at least 16 or 18 or something like that to even to volunteer, no matter what the mm-hmm. job was, even like back in the kitchen or something, you couldn't, they just wouldn't let you in there. And I imagine there might be some regulations or something like that. I'm, I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what, but they didn't let you also, it was, it was booked up typically. Like I, I said, I'll, I'll help out. And they were like, yeah, we, we'll need you maybe once every couple months. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like, and then I, there's another place. I I also volunteered at, that I actually liked it a lot better. It was, um, I'm not that's not saying say something against the soup kitchen, but it was helping like people uh, like the, the middle, the, the lower class learn uh, job skills uh, mm-hmm. like they had specific training for like IT and things like that. But all, and, and being a mm-hmm. chef and stuff like that. But they also had mm-hmm. like I, what I helped out with was teaching them how to do interviews because they often didn't know how to do a job interview. But that was mm-hmm. also like I, I mean, I basically was like they didn't really need me. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, as a father and as somebody working, I don't I don't want to take my time. If they already have a ton of people helping mm-hmm. out, I don't really feel like it's a good use of my time. Whereas I will say the pro-life movement typically is in need more. Mm-hmm. And so practically right. speaking, and I know it might be different in every city and every mm-hmm. area, though, how mm-hmm. do you actually then get into, like, helping the poor, because I think actually some Catholics might want to do it, don't know where to start,
1: or they've, they've kind of been yeah.
0: buffed like I have been in the past.
1: Well, I think that's a good point, Eric. And I, I also want to make a note, too, that it goes beyond just um, serving the poor in this kind of uh, overt charity, in this idea that when we were talking about about this idea of a third way of complete discipleship, you know, it really goes beyond that to exercising and act. Acting on the, the the works of mercy, both the corporal and the spiritual, so we all have to work within our own states of life. You know, if a, a a homeschooling mom of six or eight children isn't going to be able to go out in the middle of the day to serve at a soup kitchen, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, and that's not the that's not the baseline requirement. But I think that we can all find opportunities to serve um, that goes beyond, like that puts the foundation that we have in the mass of this linear of God first, you know, of we worship God, you know, with our whole heart, mind and soul. And then we have this horizontal axis in the second commandment to love, love each other. That might not be in this overt kind of like lower class, uh, the poor in the way that we imagine them. It might be, you know, you have, you're exercising the work of mercy and instructing the ignorant. So you have a family member or um, somebody who's ignorant of the Catholic faith. And you have them over for coffee or, you you know, you, um, uh, you know, there's other works of mercy where we can do. There's always an opportunity to exercise that work that the the Lord calls us to in the vineyard. And it might not look prescribed like going to a soup kitchen on a Sunday to work. That's a good thing. The pro-life work is a good thing. But I think it goes beyond just doing things into a, a conversion of the heart where we see every opportunity to either evangelize to bring people to christ to tell the good news of salvation um it might be instructing the ignorant or admonishing the sinner which is another work of mercy that's very difficult um so these are all works of mercy that goes beyond just feeding the hungry for a day or things like that into like how are we spreading the gospel of of christ and the good news of salvation as um as catholics one criticism you you sometimes hear about
0: traditionalists, and I think it's fair at times, is that it can be insular that, you know, and I think there's a reason for that, first of all, like, for example, yes. you, you take your kids there because you you know what will happen to them if you send them to the public schools or, you, you know, whatever. And so you want to be, and sometimes, frankly, from some normal parishes, schools as well. And so you're, you're, you're purposely trying to protect them. And that's a very good thing. I mean, I, I, I do that and I think good parents would do that. But it does could I think it can then lead to a kind of insular thing. And so is what you're saying kind of like, okay, we need to somehow balance out that ins, that that desire to, you know, a fortress against the 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 culture we're in, yet also somehow reaching out. Like, what is that? I mean, I guess that's your third way. <laughs> what is mm-hmm. that? Like, what 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 practically should like a, a family do that's like, okay. We go uh, traditional at mass. We we are trying to we're teaching our kids to face like that. But like, mm-hmm. what more should w- yeah should they do?
1: Yeah, well, here's a great example that because um, I always had that assumption that uh, traditional parishes were more insular. They didn't want people coming. It was kind of like something that was kept, and that's that's changing. Obviously, the more the word gets out about the traditional Latin mass. But we had a family of um, a family of ten that we uh, had gotten acquainted with, you know, we went to their house for dinner for something and um, they just invited us to, to, they took us out to lunch afterwards. They invited us to a traditional Latin mass. This was early on when we hadn't really, I had gone to a couple of my own, but my wife hadn't. And so that act, that simple act of charity of even just somebody who's on the fence, who's like, you know, Catholic, but they want something more. Or they want a some more solid community. All it took was that, outward expression and charity of saying, why don't you come, you know, so that's one simple way of like letting people know this isn't like a cult. A, it's the farthest thing from a cult. I mean, it, it respects your freedom to come each week or not come each week. People aren't going to, you know, welcome you at the door, which is, you know, some people have criticism of that, but I find it respectful because it, it you know, uh, respects our free will and dignity to to worship in silence and things like that. But I think it goes beyond like, if if you love something, you want to tell people about it. But you also have to balance that with the protection of the charisms of the parish and things like that, that you you don't want, you know, I I can understand why the old guard or the people who have been in the movement for a while have that those defenses, because for a while you were always on the defensive, but that is changing a little bit with new people coming um, and just wanting a reverent mass. They might not even be wedded to the traditional mass. They just want a reverent mass and that this is where they find it. But I think the charity of, of, um, of telling people about it, of encouraging people in it, of, of telling people how to, you know, how to use the missile of befriending people. These are kind of these soft, these soft skill things that get a little poo-pooed, you know, but if they can really go a long way. You don't have to be a effervescent evangelical Christian, like, you know, welcoming people at the door and, you know, bringing them to the coffee station, but it doesn't hurt to act exercise some charity so that it's not just you and your missile in the pew. And then, you know, um, there's a place for that, but there's also a great place for evangelical traditionalism, I guess, if you want to call it without, you know, while still protecting and, um, preserving the charism of the traditional mass that doesn't, you don't want it to be watered down. You don't want it to go crazy, um, with all the, you know, thankfully during COVID, uh, you know, a lot of the traditions kind of like held the line and were had preserved that, um, you know, uh, this is, this, this matters, you know, this is important. So I don't, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah.
0: But. I mean, it's a, it's a real challenge, I think, because you see that, I mean, traditional Latin mass parishes, they, they, they want to protect the the ways, what, what needs to be protected, what, what, you know, and, and that's good. And I think most of them, they want to grow as well, though, you know, I, I've heard stories at times, um, but the fear of growing is is the fact that you you know being watered down. That if right. you if all of a sudden a bunch of people come who are fleeing from from you know clown mess, right. it's kind of like the clown mess wherever it's kind of like the 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 thing about people from California going to Texas that it's right. like, oh, that's great, but wait, are they gonna just bring their liberal policy you know Mm -hmm. beliefs with them to texas and turn texas into the next california Mm -hmm. well i think a lot of traditionalists legitimately are concerned about that that all of a sudden if we are are too open and welcoming then it will just turn us we'll turn into the next you know the, the next loopy clown mass or whatever you know wherever it is they're fleeing and so like yeah, so I think that's the key is we gotta like have that balance somehow, and I guess that's kind of what you're saying again is is this idea of I, I like the story of the of the family that invited you. One of the things my wife has done uh, for a long time, in Paris is like she's really into like when a a mother has a baby, a new baby, mm-hmm. like let's get the let's get meals for them. Let's make sure that they have meals for the first couple of weeks. So you get the moms to all make some meals for them, stuff like that, which I think is great and does a lot. Um, Are there any other practical things? I mean, I think just not being a jerk to newcomers, obviously. um, (laughs) And I think what what are some other things that you would say, kind of practically speaking, uh, particularly traditional Catholics can do to kind of live this certain way of charity uh, so we don't become too uh, kind of navel-gazing?
1: Right. And I think, um, you know, it, it, this may sound a little offensive in the way I'm going to say it, but like, the, for me, there was this fear that like a traditional parish would be like, the people would be a little weird or culty. And in our parish, that's, that's the farthest thing from the truth. So we have a bunch of like, normal people who just like love, you know, I, I put that in air quotes, because I don't want that to be, you know, um, taken the wrong way. But we, uh, you know, we, they're, they're big families, they're believing families, they're, um, you know, we have single people as well. Um, But they all love, we're all there for the same reason. So we all love the traditional Latin mass, but they do, um, they are like, quote unquote, normal people that like, if I, if it was a really fringy parish, um, that was like, you know, constantly bashing the Pope or like, you know, just very, very insular we probably wouldn't be there. So I know I can't be the only person that is out there like that, that wants like, you know, a reverent traditional liturgy that isn't like, I don't have to feel like I'm subjecting my family to a very fringy thing that could go off the rails at any minute, you know? Right. So I think the more that I know that sounds like a wishy washy answer that like the more like loving and normal you can be that, that is a witness in itself. So that's like a, not a a real tangible thing, but it is just a reminder that like there are people out there like myself who would who would maybe not have ended up in the traditional latin mass if it was very standoffish very cold very non-charitable or non non-loving um but that wasn't our case and we've we've been there five years we have a very good experience at our parish we have a great pastor who keeps people in line without being heavy-handed like you know the rubrics of the mass protect the mass so that's a plus and then um you know, in most traditional parishes, the the priest really has the. It's not like they're they're ruled by the parish lay council or the music ministers or stuff. So there is that kind of protection there, which I think helps um, keep it from going off the rails too much.
0: Yeah, and I think the uh, I think I think by I think some people might take it uh, wrong when you talk about normal and weird. I know exactly what you mean, and I think it's some of it has to do with not adding on to the Catholic faith things that are not necessary. And it's kind of, and so the idea is like, if you, if you have certain beliefs about, I I don't know, like uh, conspiracy theories or whatever, that's okay. I mean, you know, I think COVID showed us that a lot of conspiracy theories are conspiracy facts in the end. Right. But don't like require, like don't lead with that. First of all, when a new family comes, don't require them to also subscribe to your views of, of whatever the case may be, just kind of the, the idea is like, you know, we're, we're, what matters here is the traditional mass, the, the, the traditional Catholic faith practicing that. And yeah, when you get to be, know somebody well, and you're friends with them, sure, go ahead and and bring up the fact that you think, I don't know, aliens killed JFK or something like that, you know, whatever the, (laughs) whatever it is. I mean, that's okay. Um, but I think that's, I think that's probably, you know, the, the, the way to go. Um, now, what are some ways, though, that like beyond the parish, like mm-hmm. not just people who come to you, but like going outside of the parish and being mm-hmm. involved in the community? Because I think this is where I think like, OK, first of all, a lot of traditional Catholic parishes are in downtowns. I mean, mine is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times downtowns are, first of all, they're very much poor areas, but also mm-hmm. they're very often uh, ideologically very liberal. You get a lot of. Mm-hmm. uh I know of at least a a few, including my own uh, area parishes that are in areas that are very dominated by the the homosexual movement and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So how is it, you know, I mean, like when they have like literally a gay pride parade coming by your parish, you're not Mm going to get involved Mm -hmm. in that. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. how, how Mm -hmm. do you think a a, a traditional Catholic parish could go out and kind of get involved in, uh, in the community?
1: Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Eric. And I think the, Primary, you know, what a lot of traditional parents uh, or myself included is the protection of our children. Like we're not we're not going to put th- our, our family at risk for the sake of, um, you know, we're, we've chosen to homeschool. We've chosen to go to traditional parish because like the passing on of the faith and the protection of our children's innocence is like top priority. So I don't want to give the impression that any of this necessitates um putting our our children or scandalizing our children or anything like that it's not even i wouldn't even recommend like you know i've i've have like gone to like pride parade in san francisco to evangelize downtown to the um people there and it was like being in the lion's den i was one of three people i wouldn't take my family there yeah my adult adult son and i did
0: that this past year in cincinnati um we, we and it's it is pretty intense but of course it was my adult. yeah i mean i wouldn't take my my minor children right obviously there
1: right yeah i mean it, it might i really think like even in terms of salvation like of of saving masses of people like saint francis xavier would you know baptize ten thousand people in the missions like we are not saving people on on mass so a lot of our evangelization efforts are going to happen one one-on-one in these dribs and drabs that i describe in the book of like you know, these individual encounters that we have, that we don't waste opportunities to, to be uncomfortable personally in telling like a, a non believer about Jesus Christ or not backing down when somebody asks about our lives or our opinions on abortion or, um, you know, uh, spreading the good news of the gospel to people who are lost. Yeah, you know, but a lot of times it's not going to happen in these mass areas. It's going to happen in these one-on-one situations. And I think the that that you you really nailed it, that the struggle is like we've chosen to be a bit insular. Like we've chosen to circle the wagons a little bit in this Benedict option kind of thing. So that's something I wrestle with as well is how do you balance that with going out of your comfortable bubble, you know, which is like I I like that my wife is in a bubble. Um for myself, I I feel called to go outside of that to to help save the lost and do the work of an evangelist and um, what Jesus commissioned us. Um, but it's very uncomfortable work. I don't think that uncomfortable that being uncomfortable is a bad thing. Right. I think it pushes you to be like to take you know when the early Christians did miracles um, in the name of Christ, you know the disciples that was like they were in the lion's den as well. They were in pagan Rome. They were you know, but they acted, they had faith, a deep faith that went beyond the walls of their their local house churches and it 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 spread the faith. So I think being a good witness, first of all, taking care of our families, um, but going beyond that to do the work of an evangelist, in my case, it might it might look different for somebody else who's, maybe that's not their charism. But I think the point is that the work, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to, to renew the church and to rebuild the church because it's not coming from the top down. We're not getting these, you know, from the Vatican on down. We're not, it's not going to change because of parish programs. It's not going to change because of some declaration from the Pope. It's going to change from a lot of hard work, a lot of deep prayer, a lot of faith, and a lot of trust in God's ability to change lives one by one when we do the work. Now this
0: maybe not with my crowd, but it'll be controversial, maybe outside of my crowd. I'm going to ask you a question. Would you say it's something I just thought of while you were talking, would you say this is a challenge that first and foremost goes to the men of the parish, the fathers, because like you said, something you said struck me, you like your wife being in a bubble and I I, resonate with me. I want my wife and my kids, my minor kids to be in a bubble obviously my my wife's involved like pro-life work she'll go to the abortion clinic stuff like that Mm -hmm. um but the point is is i i I don't want them to uh, you know my job is to protect them but like that doesn't mean i need to stay there so would you i mean i kind of feel like i I feel more convicted that maybe this is a challenge first to the men of the parish that Mm -hmm. you're the ones who first need to step out. Yes you you should protect your family but that's not the same as you that doesn't mean you stay in the bubble you have to actually go out so would
1: you would you kind of agree with that I I would and I, I'm glad you bring that up because really when the men lead you know everything else follows from that so again not to conflate it with just direct service to the poor or anything like that but just being a witness to your family like if you work a 40 hour week and you're coming home and you know, you wanna put on the baseball game and, and um, drink some beer. There's nothing wrong with that. For me personally, as, as a disciple of Jesus Christ and as a Catholic, like where I've found my, my joy and my purpose is in spreading the good news of the gospel. So like, whereas we might, you know, a family might set aside finances for a vacation. Again, there's nothing wrong with taking a vacation. But some of that money we've, you know, we've, we've earmarked to other things that advance, you know, the, the church and missions that we believe in, the, the extra time that I have that I'm not spending watching sports or things like that. I can devote to the initiatives that we were, were discussing previously. But, yeah, it's like the men, it, 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 it's going to come from the men first and it, it's going to come from the witness of the family as a whole. But you only have good families because of good men. You know what I mean? That's it. That's where it starts. So I think you make a really good point there. And that men sometimes have a little bit more bandwidth. I mean, I know we, a lot of us have full-time careers. We have a lot of uh, constraints on our time. We have a lot of children, but we also uh, have a responsibility to, to be a witness to our family of what a disciple looks like, not just a Catholic, not just a traditional Catholic, not just somebody who identifies. And, you know, Eric, let's be honest too. Here's another challenge that I get a lot of flack for, or I probably will get a lot of flack for, but like the amount of energy we spend in comm boxes and arguing online as if we're like some kind of knight or warrior for the faith. I mean, give me a break. Like <laughs> if you are not, you're not changing minds here. It's not like, um, a bad thing to do, but I think of it in terms of energy and, um, investment, you know, I would rather go out and talk to somebody who, um, you know, a coworker who. It's going to put me in an uncomfortable situation, but they're, you know, sending their kid to CCD and, but they haven't gone to confession in 20 years. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to say something about that. That's where the real work happens. Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that we're, 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 you know, making change from the comfort of our keyboard. Um, Sometimes there's a place for that. But a lot of times we, we kind of conflate heroic manhood with like making some, uh, savage comment on Facebook. So I think that's it. another, I get a lot, of, you know, I'm probably going to get some criticism for that too, but I, I stand behind that, that there's a lot of work out there that needs to be done. And sometimes we take the, the safer road as men in, you know, the things that don't matter as much.
0: Yeah. I think it's a real challenge and I think it's a good one. And I, I feel it because it's easier to tell somebody they're wrong on Facebook than it is in right. person. It's easier to just, and, and, and you don't treat them as a real person anyway on, on Facebook or wherever, Twitter, or wherever. And it, like you said, it's very hard. Like if you have a coworker who, uh, like you said, and that's a perfect example. They, their kids are going to CCD, but they haven't gone to confession 20 years. Well, that's a challenge to you that you need to like encourage them in some way, however your relationship is to do that. And I think going back to the men, I think also because in most traditional Catholic parishes in, most families the man works and often the 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 mother is at home with the kids that means the man is just naturally more engaged with the world so to speak through mm-hmm. through their work and so and and therefore they're they're set up more for the outreach for the you know, like i mean i think a a good example is like sometimes you might know uh you might be a coworker have a coworker who's catholic and like they're not really that enthusiastic about it. well, if you invite them to traditional Latin mass, your parish, they might be like, Whoa, wait a minute. This is the mass. This is what I mean. This is like I because I know people this has happened to that they 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 were good, you know, Catholics in one sense, but they just never really were that on fire, and they it was very just laxadaisical because to be blunt, the liturgy was celebrated lackadaisically. and as you as you said before, you know, our liturgy guides us in our life. And so they mm-hmm. it, it led to a lack of statistical faith. And all of a sudden they came to traditional Latin mass and they were like, whoa, this like, you know, supercharged them in, in, in all their life. So that's something men particularly, I mean, not that women obviously can't do that with friends of theirs and stuff like that, but we just have more opportunities. I say we, although I work from home, so it doesn't mm-hmm. include me. I'm, I'm terrible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for people who, the men who work out in the world, I think that's a real challenge to them as well. But even just
1: Eric, you, you and I, like our situations, like we were essentially robbed of our patrimony for years and when we both became catholic like the Novus Ordo was the only thing on the menu like right. liberal catholicism was the only thing on the menu god used that grace to you know to work within those confines but it's because of the love of tradition that we you've just rediscovered and you and I are not the only ones that i think that there's like like i said you 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 want to talk about what you what you love what you you you, you want to tell people about it and I think that that's what you don't want to just keep it to yourself. Love goes out from itself. So, right. um, but yeah, the, the men thing, that's a great point. Okay. We're going to wrap it up
0: here soon. And I, although I feel like this one could go on for a long time, I did not expect this to even go the direction it did, but I, I'm just really, it's, it's, it's hitting some tunes that really resonate with me because, uh, you know, I was a director of evangelization for five years for a diocese while attending a traditional Latin mass. And that, I will admit that was a, uh, wasn't always congruent. I mean, it, there was definitely yes. it, there was some tension there, to say the least. Um, so I want to mention about your book, but I have one question, which is just kind of a weird question out in left field. But I thought of it at one point while we were talking, talking about helping the poor. A lot of traditional Latin mass parishes are in lower class poor areas. And therefore, one of the things that often happens is when you're going to mass, you get poor people mm-hmm. coming up to you. And, you know, sometimes they're they're drugged out and sometimes they tell or they tell you a great story about why they, you know, they need their bus money to get home or something. You know, we've all those okay. of us who experienced it. We know all the stories. Now, I know this is not dogma. This, I just want to hear from somebody else. Kyle, what do you feel is our obligation? Because I know in some cases, uh, especially women for naturally are, are, are fearful at times, especially when it's an evening mass and it's dark out. Mm -hmm. What is our obligation to to reach out to the the, the poor who are literally on the doorstep sometimes Mm -hmm. of our parishes? Mm
1: -hmm. You know, I want to be clear that I don't think any Catholic in those situations, especially like our wives and things are under any obligation to, you know, I'm putting in air quotes for the people who aren't seeing the video to help in those situations because it's not always helping. So I don't want anybody to think that that's like a callous thing. Sometimes it's the most prudent thing um, at our parish. We are in a, a rough part of town. We also have a soup kitchen where people can come five days a week to get meals. We often get people approaching us outside of mass. I've have been conflicted about it. Cause I know the CS Lewis quote of like, you know, somebody asking for money for a drink and then, and then, C.S. Lewis gives it to him, and then uh, his friend says, "Why did you give him that? He's just going to drink with it." He's like, "That's what I was going to do with it." So, (laughs) you know, I don't think it hurts to give maybe a dollar or something here and there, but I don't think anybody should feel like, you know, to. And I'm coming across as like a bleeding heart uh, liberal, you know, in the beginning of this podcast, but I really, you you have to be prudent um, in these situations. And you know, I've heard the same stories over and over from people. I've had I've had a priest that you know I was walking to mass with. He was a traditional priest, and he would just yell at them to get out of here. So I don't, I don't know if that's the best approach. Like you you you, you chased them off. Um, I don't know if that's the best approach. I don't think giving money or things on the street in those situations is always the best thing either. So I don't think any Catholic should feel that they're a, a, you know they don't love the poor or anything. There's a time and a place. Sometimes we have care packages that we just have like some water, granola bar, things like that. So the act of charity sometimes is a bit like a, a muscle. So if it's something that's not going to, you know, you don't have to give them $20, but maybe a dollar or, you know, something that's not going to put you out, but exercise that muscle charity. And sometimes the right thing to do is not to give anything. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, we're it's. Probably a, I on mean, the there's no there. There.
0: there's no one answer. I know that. Like, I know my wife. One right. of the things she likes is the is the care package. Like, maybe a, a gift certificate to a to a restaurant or something like a local a nearby, like you know, place a deli or something like that. A uh, apples and you know something like that. Um, because that that is like okay, they can't do anything with it other than just eat it, and that's good for them. So so go ahead. I think that's good, and I think it's also it's like it's funny because once you go long enough, you start to know some of the regulars, so to speak. Yep. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. one time I had an incident where as a daily mass, it was like a noon mass. And and one of the guys who's normally around, he came into the church and he was going up to people who were praying before mass to mm-hmm. ask something. And I just went up to him and said, you have to leave. And I and I basically yes. kicked him out because mm-hmm. I was like, no, you, you've mm-hmm. now you've crossed the line. You know, yes. I, I'm not telling you you have to leave the neighborhood. I'm just saying. But you, you've you've. Mm-hmm. I said, you can stay for mass. You, and I, I made it clear, like, if you want to stay here and pray, fine. But you can't go up to people here. And he ended up right. leaving. Um, so I do think it's a challenge. I just thought, kind of want to get your perspective. Um,
1: and part of it, Eric, is just we're trying to figure this out. You right. know, this is not a, a hard and fast rule. There's a lot of it is just developing, you know, learning to love is not a, a, a science. It's, right. it's an art, yeah. It's you know.
0: And it's funny because over time I've kind of changed my views and I'm I'm on the more not giving anything now in those situations mm-hmm. because I've had too many cases of like repeats and, and like yes. the stories are clearly, lo- you know, made Same up with- and. And, you know so it's yep. like okay i'm not really helping them i do try to like tell them where because there's a soup kitchen about a few blocks away from mm-hmm. us and you know some other things like hey you could go there and things like that so
1: well i think um, we should remember too that the spiritual acts of mercy are just as you know if not more important sometimes for people who are lost and in darkness than, you know it's, you know say peter would say i don't have any money to give you but get up and walk right you know if we had that kind of faith to raise somebody up who's crippled you know we that's. That has right. its, uh, that's its weight in gold.
0: Yeah, And I think that's something like just talking to them and, you know, not giving, you don't mm-hmm. have to give me anything, but and I, obviously I'm not talking about like dangerous situations. And if a sure woman, if you ever feel like it, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not advocating for that, but there are situations where, it's completely safe, or you know, at least safe enough. And and so just mm-hmm. in, talking to them, and, and you know, and a lot of times I I even say, hey, why, I'll pray for you. Why don't you could you pray for me? Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, you know, yeah, to show hey, I, I, I treat I treat you as a as a acknowledge as a him
1: like a, a human because this is Jesus, right? You know, Jesus exactly. is in the Eucharist and he's in the poor as well. Yep,
0: exactly. Okay, so I want before we go though, I just want to. So you have this book, Wisdom and Folly. Let me make sure I get on the screen,
1: mm-hmm. Uh
0: essays mm-hmm. on faith, life, and everything in between. Like I said at the beginning, it's four by uh, Kevin Wells, it's, you know, I mean, it's 370 pages or so, something like that. I mean, it's a, a lot of writing. So tell us about it. Um, like, you know, what was your purpose of writing this book?
1: Sure. Well, I wasn't reinventing the wheel here either. I was approached by a publisher to, 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 to republish the best of the best essays that I have, um, have written already that are topical by, um, nine different topics of, on friendship, on faith, on manhood, on marriage, on family, on the church, on discipleship, on all the things that we're talking about here as a complete protein of a disciple of Jesus Christ for Catholics in the church today. And they're bite-sized essays. I mean, there may be 2 or 3 pages, they're 2 or 3 pages each. There's about 90 essays total, and they're just um, food for thought. You know, I don't think in the age of social media where a lot of us are a lot of us might struggle to read something like War and Peace today. So these are really bite-sized essays that you can pick up but that'll challenge you which it's a lot of meat on the bones to consider how to become a better disciple of jesus christ some just some thoughts of mine too so they're they're personal essays but i think they're universal enough that they can speak to a lot of people on a lot of different levels in those areas so i'd encourage people to, to pick one up if you're looking for a good read that you don't have to commit to like reading straight through you can pick up an essay you can treat it with lent coming up you can treat it as a devotional um, but they are personal essays, about 90 of them are total. And uh, yeah, Kevin d- uh, did a great job with the forward too. And he's become a good man of God and uh, friend and disciple. So yeah. Okay. So wisdom and folly, I'll make sure I put a link to it
0: in the show notes so people can get it. I encourage you. I, I appreciate this, this uh, podcast because I think it was challenging. I think I know I can tend to uh, get insular. I can tend to just kind of think like you get kind of the hive mind a little bit. And I think it's good to sometimes get a little bit of a kick, like, Hey, you know, try to think a little bit outside the box about how we do things. And so I, I appreciate you, you coming on and talking about this.
1: Thanks, Eric. Thanks for the opportunity. I, I, I I'm outside the box a lot, so it's not uh very often that you get the opportunity to flush it out a little bit. So thanks. Exactly. So again, I'll
0: link to the book. I also link to your blog and the article that kind of w- we, we was, this was based on the third way. So people can just easily find it. So great okay that's it for now until next time everybody god love you